First off, let me just tell you all that I'm on the road, which means that the audio quality for the show may not be the typical standard that you're used to. Nonetheless, the content will not change. That being said, shout out to everybody who has been coming out to the Smartphone and Black Tour. It has been incredibly live. We just came from Columbus, Ohio, and uh, I got to tell you, it was Bonkers. I had no idea that Columbus, Ohio was a full, you see it, you see it, you hear the, the sirens? That's because I'm in Detroit. <laughs> I had no idea that Columbus, Ohio was a full situation. And it really was. I mean, they knew the Vibonics, absolutely. So shout out to Columbus, Ohio for giving us just the most incredible show and uh, really showing us that we need to make sure that we always come back to Columbus. And shout out to Yamanika Saunders and um, Yasser Lester, who were our black spurts at the Columbus show, because I, I mean, the, the comedy was, was high quality, okay? High quality. So this episode is about triggers. And I will say this, whenever I do an episode that is particularly in the psychiatric, like psychology therapist space, I always want to remind you all that I am not a expert. I'm not an expert. I'm simply just talking from my experiences and kind of just my my thoughts and ideologies, but I am by no means trying to give you professional advice on how to manage your triggers. All right? This is all just like your homegirl, basically like, well, this is what's worked for me, and so I'm just imparting this to you. That's how I want you to look at it. That being said, let's get into side effects of triggers and drop a gem. Jam dropping. Jam dropping. Jam dropping. We're dropping on these hoes. So today's jam dropping is triggers versus idiosyncrasies. Now, triggers are basically... Things that take place that trigger you to respond a certain way based on a previous occurrence that affected you majority of the time negatively, right? So, for example, if you were abandoned as a child, there would be, like, certain things that could take place in your adult life that would trigger the feeling of abandonment that you still have from being left as a child by a parent, right? So, you know, if you were uh, if you were somebody who suffered a certain level of assault or like a sexual assault, there may be a certain trigger that can take place that would bring you back to the feeling that you had related to that assault that is negative. That could be, you know, a feeling of embarrassment, it could be a feeling of rage, it could be a feeling of betrayal, of violation, etc. And you sometimes don't even know uh, what could trigger that. I mean, sometimes it's something very obvious, you know, like hearing about someone else's assault or having to speak about your assault or even something like, you know, being in a sexual act where something mimics something that took place in your assault. Like those are pretty like standard, but sometimes you just never know when a trigger is going to pop up 
that can bring you back to a place that was not a good place to be. And that can be a doozy, especially for like, you know, a new relationship, right? Because that person is essentially like walking in a minefield of triggers unless you have actively, you know, put the work in to manage and even discover your triggers. Because that's the other thing is that sometimes you don't even know that there is something that happened that you have a trigger for. Like what I just said about like being abandoned as a child or assault, like you are consciously aware that these things took place. But sometimes you can be triggered to go back to a place that you didn't even know was trigger worthy. Now an idiosyncrasy is something that is a unique trait to you that may spark annoyance or frustration if it is not handled, right? So, like, sometimes people have an idiosyncrasy about, like, people slurping their food. And if someone slurps their food, they're just like, oh, my God, that was so annoying. You know, that it, it triggers, it, it, it basically makes them irritated, but it's not associated with a prior occurrence. It's just something that is an innate annoyance to them. Like for me, hearing chairs against the floor, like in a restaurant setting, is just, oh my God, it is so irritating to me. And that's one of my idiosyncrasies. Now you can have like positive idiosyncrasies too. It's just like the unique ways in which you function in the world. And they're not general. They're idiosyncrasies because they're usually more tailored to the personal individual. You know, like, I know one of my relationship idiosyncrasies is like, I really feel like when you walk in the door, I want immediate affection. I'm not saying you got to come and fuck me through the door, but like, you know, give me a hug or give me a kiss or, you know, just come through the door and greet me and then go on your merry way. But when that doesn't happen, it just kind of throws off my vibe. And so that's an idiosyncrasy of mine. Like it fucks up the mechanism of me when that doesn't take place. Now, the thing about idiosyncrasies, similar to trickers though, is that like you really have to work to not let them get things too out of hand and not let them simply, like, rule you, right? So see, the example I just made about how, like, it throws me off my vibe, like, that is something I need to work on. Like, it really just shouldn't be able to, like, rock my boat like that. But it's one of my idiosyncrasies that it does, and it's something that I want to get more of a handle on. But see, the thing about triggers and idiosyncrasies is that, like, in most, in both cases, not everybody is going to be able to, like, keep a tally of all of these things that are innately affecting you. That's why it's on you to do so. And that's why it's on you to be doing the work to manage and, well, to discover and then manage and hopefully maybe even eradicate your triggers. And they have, like, different therapy that works on this, you know, whether it's cognitive behavioral therapy or EMDR, where, you know, you are working on specifically a traumatic incident and how to change your relationship to that incident. Um... And that's not always, you know, something that you can do by yourself, which is why therapy has really become something that is not just a buzzword anymore. It's a real, like, technical practice that has to be put in place to, like, know how to handle things. I mean, if you have anger management issues and you have triggers that trigger your anger, you can have idiosyncrasies that trigger your anger. But you have to learn how to manage your response to those things. And that, y'all, is one of the hardest things to do. Because in order to even approach managing it, you're going to have to address what took place to even create this trigger. And 
that can be a very dark and twisty journey. And it can be very lonely, very arduous, very exhaustive, very taxing. It can be embarrassing. It can be and embarrassing because you're just like, why can't I like figure this out? Like, why is this like so stressful and straining on my mentals? And that's the fight of your life. I just did an Instagram video about this recently. You know, where like I believe like your biggest fight is not others. It's the internal battle that you have with yourself to deal with like the personal histories, the family histories, you know, the the idiosyncrasies, the triggers that have come out of your personal issues, etc. And just like how you get to a place of peace with those things to be able to not be on constant guard with the world and its ability to pull them up. So whether it's a trigger associated to a prior negative occurrence or it's an idiosyncrasy that's associated with just something that you don't necessarily like or something that you do like, either way, it's all a part of the mechanism of you. And the only person who can learn the actual way to run you functionally in this world is you. Because if you don't figure out how to run you, you gonna get run. All right, let's get into these DMTs. Now, I'm going to be honest. I just, again, feel the need to say I am not, I an, am expert. not an expert. These are just my thoughts, my musings, <laughs> okay? And uh, I'm going to do my best to respond to you all's DMTs with the most insight as usual that I can. First question, how do you regroup yourself when triggered? How do you tell someone that what they do triggers you? Okay, so I'll work backwards. You know, first of all, I feel like if you're in a place where you can like tell someone like you've triggered me, that's like a really good place. <laughs> because I think that that means that you have a, a relationship with your triggers that is very um, clear. So I think, you know, there's, there's a lot of us who don't have that clear of a relationship yet. And so the person finds out they've triggered you by, you know, the, the reaction that you have. And a lot of times, like, you, you realize someone's been triggered by them having a reaction that seems, like, incongruent to the scenario, right? So, you know, I know that I've, I've been in a situation where I was seeing somebody... And they did something that was like very innocuous for them, but that triggered me in a way where my reaction was so extreme that they were just like, what the hell? And to be perfectly honest, I too was like, what the hell? Because it was a trigger that I didn't know that I had. And my reaction was just very... Um, emotional and visceral and I had to like remove myself from the scenario and it really threw the person off and you know it was embarrassing for me when I came out of it because it made me feel like damn like you should you just like showed your your quote-unquote showed your crazy you know and but what it what it revealed to me was that this uh interaction was a trigger and when I got to the 
root of like why my reaction was like that, I was able to identify what it was attached to, which then begins the work on how to, um, you know, not let it trigger you that way again and kind of just, you know, to, to face it head on. How do you tell someone that they've triggered you? I think that, um, you know, if, if they're still present after the, uh, trigger retreat, I think you simply just say to them, like, you know, um, when that exchange took place, it triggered me to a negative, uh, scenario that I've had in my past. And I apologize, you know, if it threw you off, but it was something that I need to deal with. Personally, I think that's how you have to handle it. Cause I think that there's something to be said for like, especially if you're getting to know somebody or if you don't know somebody at all and they trigger you, like, you know, we live in a society these days, which I feel is less and less and less accountable for our own actions. We seem to like a lot of times just put things on everybody else and we expect people to kind of like have a hypersensitivity about everything. Like I know some people are very big on trigger warnings and that you should put a trigger warning before anything. Um, and I think that that is a school of thought that, you know, varies for different people. Some people say, well, you know, a trigger warning takes no time. So like, why can't you just do it? And then other people say like, how am I supposed to know when something is going to trigger somebody? I think there's obvious ones, you know, but I think there's also like certain spaces where you just feel like, well, do I need to do a trigger warning on Instagram or do I need to do a trigger warning before a series of tweets? So I think that there's like such a nebulous um, space for like what constitutes a trigger warning, but I do feel like there isn't a nebulous space for what constitutes like your own accountability for your own reactions to things and your own actions. And I think that unless somebody knows your trigger and is actively pursuing it, which is essentially gaslighting, um, you shouldn't put that on somebody else. Like you triggered me. Like, it's like, well, you know, they, if someone is, is moving out of ignorance or inadvertence, inadvertence, I don't even know if that's a word, but I'm going to say it, inadvertence, then I feel like I'm not saying that you have to apologize and be like, I don't, I'm, I don't necessarily feel like you have to say I'm sorry unless you feel like you have really disrupted in a way that you don't necessarily feel proud of. But I do think there is something to be said for just taking about accountability for saying like, hey, I was triggered by that and that's why my reaction was that way. So I just wanted to give you some insight into that. And I think sometimes it's not about like necessarily offering someone an apology, but offering someone an explanation. I think sometimes like that's really just like the civility of things. Like there's a certain level of consideration that, that you show when you kind of give somebody an explanation. I think sometimes we explain things too much. I know like I definitely kind of over explain things, um, when I feel like I'm having to like try and get somebody to understand. But I do think there's a certain level of explaining that comes from a place of like, I just want to give you some insight into a situation so that you don't feel um, like you have to internalize it. And I think there's something good in that. And I think that it's, it's, it's honorable. Next question. Sometimes my mother is my trigger for self-doubt and depression. How do I handle staying away from triggers if it's my mom? There was another question about this in relation to um, someone moving back home with their parents, and they said they were facing the root of their triggers because it wasn't until they were out into the world that they realized that their home history was the biggest trigger. Um, I think both of these come from a similar space of just like, how do you manage a trigger that you can't avoid? 
And I think there's a school of thought, and there actually is like a whole style of therapy, EMDR therapy. I always get the acronym wrong. Yeah, EMDR therapy. That basically says that the work of dealing with triggers is about rewiring your reaction to triggers. And one of the examples they give is that, for instance, a rape victim may feel uh, that when they think about their their you know tragic situation that took place, um, that they go to a place of anxiety, they go to a place of fear, they go to a place of embarrassment, they go to a place of hostility, etc. And so in this particular therapy, they speak about how their rewiring is in changing your relationship to the trigger. So instead of the trigger having you go back to the, those negative thoughts, um, having the trigger bring you forward to thoughts of, in this case, um, when when the person may perhaps go back to thinking about their assault, going to a place of saying like, I'm a survivor, I am strong, I made it, you know, so basically rewiring the trigger to trigger positive reinforcement versus negative. And, you know, that is not an easy thing to do by any means. Uh, I think that, you know, for what it's worth, there's a certain level of like mental strength and, and, and compassion that takes place with that. And like I said, there's literally an entirely, an entire school of therapy dedicated to this because it is something very difficult to do on your own. But I think that there's, um, no hurt in trying. <laughs> like if you're living at home, you're literally waking up triggered every day. So like you're gonna have to implement some type of shit to make sure that that shit ain't fucking up your shit on a regular basis. Like if every day you wake up and you look at your hungry hippos and it takes you back to that time where you was playing hungry hippos with your cousin and then, you know, your mom came in and beat that ass in front of your cousin while you were playing hungry hippos and, and beat that ass about some shit that you felt was not beat that assery worthy, you know, then... You're going to have to figure out like, okay, how do I like disassociate Hungry Hippos with that memory? Because I don't want to keep going to that memory because then when I go to that memory, you know, it it takes me to a place of darkness. It takes me to a place of embarrassment. It takes me to a place of of sadness. You know, all of those things that come along with like, you know, this being beat by a parent and, and especially if you don't feel like you deserved it, et cetera. Right? So like some might say like, why can't you just throw away the Hungry Hippos? Um, and, you know, I guess, you know, you could. But I think there may be an exercise in just kind of like figuring out like how to just change the relationship to Hungry Hippos. And I know that a lot of us have to deal with this on a regular basis, like just in our lives, because there are just people that are around us that may trigger us, you know, and that may not be able to be removed. And I think there's a boundary that also needs to be drawn as well. And sometimes that boundary doesn't have to be like a physical hardline boundary like that says like, I don't stay in the room with these people or I don't talk to these people. Sometimes that's necessary. But I think there's also a certain um, boundary that happens just in your consciousness where you're like, I'm not going to let those people cross this line of my emotions. I'm not going to let those people cross this line of my mental strength. Like I know for me, like that is the hardest thing. And that's the thing that I'm really ardently working on, like providing a certain like protective orb and boundary for my space, because I'm such an empath that like everything kind of can get underneath my skin. Like my ex was like, you know, everything bothers you. Everything bothers you. And it's not even that everything bothers me. It's that I'm an open fucking wound. Like, and I'm, I'm, you know, it's not even fair to say I'm an open wound because that's maybe dramatic, but I'm more so just like, I'm a porous person, P-O-R-O-U-S, porous, meaning that I have like 
you know, these, uh, these fissures in my person, in my, in my mental, uh, uh, firewall where things can come in and it comes in from other people. It comes in from other energies and, you know, it comes in from other be- like people's behavior. It, it, tr- it, it slides in through that little fissure and then makes me feel some type of way. And it's like, you're so easily triggered, Amanda, because you just have so many ways for people to get to you. You need to create boundaries. So if you're dealing with like your mom or you're dealing with your home life, it's like, you have to figure out like, what is my protective orb that I'm keeping around me? Along with, you know, it may be like, I'm not going to sit here and watch TV with them every night because it always ends up being some fuck shit that takes me to a dark place. Like, you know what? You may have to like (laughs) shift that. But I do think there is something real about like, at least beginning to try to do the work yourself of reassociating uh, triggers that connect you to a negative place with with a with a more positive reinforcement on how you made it out of that negative space or how you're making it out of that negative space. You know, like I'm going through a breakup right now and I'm trying to like deal with that myself. Like I don't want to keep every time I think about this person it take you know it take me to a place of like frustration or of sadness or of disappointment, etc. So. I'm really working on trying to take it like, okay, don't let it take you to those places and anger, et cetera. Try to think about that person and have it take you to a place of, well, I learned a lesson. Um, I came in with my best foot forward. I tried um, with all earnestness and honesty, you know? And I know some of y'all are like, can't nobody do that shit. Like, and I know that there's some of you who are like, no, you need to go through the more the the morning and the 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 the, the Fiona Apple of it all. <laughs> you know, the Sarah McLaughlin like lying in a bathtub with your makeup smeared of it all. And I don't I don't necessarily disagree with that as some people's process, but I know that I'm fucking tired of that process. I really am. I really am. And so. I know that y'all were asking these questions. You're tired of the process of having to go through the trigger over and over and over and over and over again. So I think that that's a, 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 a I don't know. I, I think that that's a way to look at it and to attempt to try to make your interactions with these people that are not going anywhere uh, livable or at least manageable. Next question. As someone with a background in psychology, I learned that there's a fine line between being triggered and being upset by something. I would like to know how do you let someone know that they're misusing the word trigger without making them feel like negative emotions they're experiencing aren't valid. I mean, I always feel like at this point, you know, just dealing with someone from a place of compassion is the best way to correct. Um, which always starts with like, you know, protecting their feelings and saying, you know, what you're saying is valid. Like you said in that question, I mean, telling somebody like what you're saying is valid and I completely understand why you're upset. However, and then, you know, I think there may be like a gem, you know, the gem dropping was, was the difference between idiosyncrasies and triggers. And I think that there's some validity there where you're like, you know, I understand that this upsets you because it's something you don't like, but a trigger is associated with something that has taken place that is an actual trauma. You know, so I think that, um, and you know, trauma is a scale too, right? Cause like some people's traumas, other people look at them like, oh, bitch, you weak. Like if you ain't done, I mean, you think that's a trauma? Let me tell you about the time when my, you know what I mean? And it's like, we always have to remember that everything is relative. Everything is relative. Everybody's shit that they've gone through is what they've gone through. And everyone's mental status and their capacity for coping, et cetera, is all just uniquely different. And that's when you find out, like, especially in relationships, like if you guys are even um, compatible, 
You know, like if you can even manage, because like if someone has like no coping mechanisms and you have all the coping mechanisms, it eventually will end up being so burdensome for you because you're always having to manage them, which they end up resenting because then they feel like you're parenting them. You know what I mean? Do do I sound like I'm speaking from experience? (laughs) But I digress. I think that really just in pointing out to people that you are aware of their feelings and that you acknowledge their feelings as like real and valid, I think that's always the place to start if you're trying to correct in this scenario of trying to let them know like, sure, this upsets you and that's real. However, it's not a trigger. And I think they might even be relieved in realizing the difference because I think that there is something a little bit more... I don't know, like uh, maybe uh, empowering or something to like realize like, oh, like, so that is just like something I don't like, but it's not associated with something deeper. And then you, cause then you're like, shit, that's one less thing that I need to go dig deep and, you know, pull out the inner shovel and try and figure out, you know, like (laughs) it's just one less thing. And I think that for all of us who are really on this quest for like mental, mental health and wellness, like just the, 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 the respite from finding another like thing that fucked you up as a child, (laughs) like getting a break from that and realizing like, no, that's just some shit you don't like, like that can actually be like very relieving. Like, Ooh, all right. I'm a little less wounded than I thought. Cause that's what all of this work does. All this work reveals to you, like just kind of like how, much you've you've overcome and how much you've taken in and how much you've taken on and you know then you can start to feel like damn maybe I'm weak or maybe I need to be tougher etc and I think all of that is also just incredibly subjective I think what it really boils down to is just being able to pat yourself on the back for saying you know what I'm going head first into the work and I'm dedicated and knowing that it doesn't happen overnight like change and dealing with triggers and the the um, managing of them, like that's not going to like shift overnight. Take it from me. I'll discuss it in the that one time. Last question. Just because you know your partner's triggers, is it your fault or responsibility if your actions inadvertently trigger them to do something or react a certain way? Well, I think inadvertently is the, is the operative word here. Because, like, if you're in a relationship and, you know, you're getting to know each other and you learn your partner's triggers, like, you do your best. And your partner has to know that you're doing your best to, like, not set off that Smith Smith & Wesson. But, you know, I think that the real frustration happens when you feel like your partner is not doing their best. When they're actually being, like, callous or you know, just kind of, you know, unaware or, you know, and I think it can be a lot of strenuous work for for folks in relationships to like have to be aware of not only your own triggers, but someone else's. But yeah, that's fucking relationships. And I think the inadvertently part is the key here because I said this in one of the answers earlier, like if you know your partner's triggers and you're just like letting that shit rock, and you're not like stopping and you're not like checking your own behavior, like that feels like betrayal. And it feels like untrustworthy. You know, like when someone knows and they just keep doing the shit over and over again, 
that feels just like somebody is really just not showing up to the party the same way you're showing up to the party. You know, like when you go to a party, don't you hate when you like go to a party with somebody and like they didn't tell you that it was like a dress down situation. And so you done like put on your whole fuck them girl dress and you giving them like you were extra in a Jody Watley video and they show up in some Tims and a warm up suit and you're like, well, I mean, what, why didn't you put me on game? I could have worn my kicks. And they're like, oh, I mean, my fault. And you're just like, but you knew we were going to this party together. So like, well, how could you let me show up to the party, like being all extra and you just showing up to the party being chill. Now we look silly. And now I'm just like the one out here at the party. You don't ever want to feel like in your relationship. You never want to feel in your relationship like you're the overdressed, right? If the motherfucker in your relationship with you is showing up in a tracksuit every day and they can't glam up ever so often or at least on a regular basis, treat that shit like we on the goddamn red carpet. I mean, what are we doing? And when I say red carpet, listen, I know some of y'all are like, well, no, like relationships, you should be able to be relaxed. I, yes. I just mean, though, that you're showing up like it matters. You know, like, I hate that the BET Awards, like, people be showing up like they're going to the fucking movies. I don't want to see any more fake bulletproof vests. Like, y'all just go on lime green bulletproof vests. Y'all go to lime green fake bulletproof vests us for the, for the whole summer. Like, is that really what we can look for? Like, what I feel like should be happening is, like, when we dress up, we show reverence to, like, okay, this is our own unique space. And I think that that's what this analogy speaks to for relationships. And part of that is also in being aware and conscious as much as you can be about not stumbling over triggers. However, with all that being said, humans are a minefield. Humans are a minefield. And sometimes triggers happen that triggers get triggered before you even know what to say. Or do, you know what I mean? Like, you're like, I didn't even know. Like I told you earlier in in these questions, like I had a scenario where I was triggered and both him and I didn't know that that was a trigger. So that was like, oh Oh, shit, news to me. And I will give my partner credit that like they made it up their business after that to like not do that action again. But I was... I was at fault in that situation, I feel, because like when I did like get fully, fully triggered, like instead of coming back to him and saying like, you know what, like I, that just really took me out the game. Like I didn't realize that I like blamed him for it. And it was like, well, in hindsight, that wasn't cool because he didn't know. How, bitch, how can he know if you didn't know? But all of this is really just like a crapshoot. It's difficult. It's hard to learn. It's it's humans interacting in new spaces. And we're all trying to get there. But when it boils down to it in relationships, I think it's simply just effort is the best demonstration that you can give. Um, and listen, like the best efforts get the best rewards. People I I was trying to think of a people I like (laughs) for this one. And I think I'm really just going to shout it out to all of us who are doing the work. Y'all, we are the people I like. Because if no one was doing the work, like, things would just continue to go off the fucking rails. I spoke to my astrologist recently and she was saying that this year, essentially, like, all of the world is kind of, like, dealing with our muck coming to the surface, like in an ancestral way, that it's all just like coming to the surface and facing us. And we're having to like 
look at it and you you have to decide like are you going to deal with it are you going to avoid it are you going to deny it etc and so i feel like you know those of us who are ardently uh taking space to deal with and manage our triggers those of us who are giving space for others to deal with and manage their triggers like that that's the people i like because it is creating a higher sense of human you know, I mean, the reality is, is that we're not out here hunting and gathering and living as carnal beings anymore. We are intellectual and our intellect should not just extend to math and uh, sciences and literature. It should extend within. And the intelligence that you have for yourself is far beyond. Um, it needs to it needs to be far beyond artificial. I think a lot of us are androids. We are artificially intelligent because we think we know ourselves because we've done some like little brush of the surface, you know, like we played mash or some shit and found out that we like these three people and we want to live in this kind of house and we want these kind of cars. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, or we did like the fucking sorting hat on Pottermore and realized like, ooh, I'm a Ravenclaw. So this is what kind of person I am. Like, nah, that is surface. You got to dig in. And like I said earlier, digging in is strenuous, exhaustive work. And I'm not even saying that it's daily work because we all have fits and starts and we have our processes. But there is something to be said for just the fact that like an army of people that are out here doing the work to get intellectually in touch with themselves and their emotions and their depth and their mental, like that gives me a bit of hope. It really does. In the wake or in the, in the not in the wake, but in the throes of watching individuals who lack any intellectualism, not even just internally, but in general, um, you realize just how valuable it is that folks are doing that. And particularly in the black community and particularly with black women, I've seen just like a real earnest work towards saying, you know what, we've got to face our past traumas. We've got to face the, the, we've got to face the trauma that's within our DNA that we're passing on to our offspring and that we're spreading amongst our, our circles, et cetera, our sister circles, like we've got to check it and we, and it's only on us to check it. Um, what I want to see that happen with is more with brothers, you know? And I think that there's really good work being done with brothers who are like encouraging other brothers to say like, yo, yo face yourself, yourself nigga. <laughs> like when they say, check yourself, fool, they're looking in the mirror. Like, you know, in the immortal words of Ice Cube and Dos Effects, you better check yourself. Before you really wreck yourself, okay? Because not knowing yourself is bad for your health. That one time. <laughs> that one time. I mean, listen, there has been no one time that I was triggered. <laughs> There are things that upset me. There are things that I have like idiosyncratic ways about. But when it comes to, sorry, when it comes to being triggered, I feel like, you know, there's just stuff that bubbles up from my like 20s. And then there's like, you know, I'm at an age where I'm 38, so I don't have daddy issues. I have father issues. <laughs> like, they have matured from daddy to father issues because they've been with me so long. You know, and then you start to take a look at, like, 
How do those things play out in different ways? And, you know, let me just say something. Like, a trigger doesn't necessarily always mean, like, oh, you start crying or, oh, you start yelling. It can be, like, it just triggers, like, anxiety or it just triggers silence, you know, because that's how you dealt with it in the past or or a certain level of awkwardness, you know? So I think, like, for me, it could also be an action. Like, like I mean, I, everything I just named was an action, but it's, it, you know, that's essentially what it is. So, you know, there's certain times when I will see that, like, my daddy issues are abandonment issues because my father never stuck around to, like, be a real father to me. And when I say a real father to me, I mean a figure of support and love and resource And so I have an abandonment issue that gets triggered when I feel like someone who I am leaning on that for or who I'm looking, not even leaning, who I'm looking to that for, who has presented themselves as such, is uh, pulling that away from me or is doing behavior that denies me of that. And so then it triggers me to like launch into the problematic behavior of my own, which is control, right? Because it's like, okay... I was abandoned by somebody. So the way that that trigger plays out is me trying to control that not happening again, which ends up backfiring, right? Because, because nobody, nobody want to be controlled. controlled. So it's it's all these things that, that kind of start happening when you reach a certain point where you can deal with your triggers. And I think, you know, there's also something to be said for being fair about the fact that like not everybody is in a place to even deal with their triggers yet. You know, like that's not just some easy shit to do. And so sometimes it can be a really hard thing to like walk away and give someone space to do that or to get to that point. Because if someone hasn't dealt with that, especially if you already have, like you're not going to line up a lot of times because particularly in relationships, like they're absolutely going to be exhaustive for you because you, if you're a compassionate person, are going to always want to try and like manage their shit and you're working harder at managing their shit than they are. And even if it's, and I don't just mean even like a relationship, like romantic, that could be like a, a personal relationship, you know, in terms of like a friendship or a familial relationship, um, familial relationship, I'm sorry. So, you know, those things are very, very real. And I know for me, I definitely have reached a point where I had a certain level of stability in other areas of my life, which allowed me to deal with those triggers. Like I know some people feel like if they don't have money, like they can't deal with their mental space, their emotional space, because they are constantly thinking about money. And if they don't have uh, time, here's the catch 22 about that. You gotta in my opinion, start at least looking at you if you're going to get to the money that you want and if you're going to get to the time that you want. You have to make time to start dealing with you. You may not have all the time that you would like to do it, but you got to start making time. And this might be a little woo-woo for y'all, but I just really feel like it's a pact you make with the universe. You know, everything to me is about law of attraction, the energy you put out there. We're made of atoms, protons, neutrons, electrons. So if you put out, you know, a positive energy, that's, it's literally, you are a combusting engine. Humans are combusting. We're putting out energy. So if you are somewhat, you know, coming from a positive place, then you're putting out a positive, literally like a positive charge. And hopefully that, you know, in science brings back um, positive to you. 
So the thing about that is, you know, then people will say, well, opposites attract. And that happens too, right? Because when you're putting out positive, people who are negative sometimes are like drawn to you because they want that positive too. And they can't figure out how to combust it for themselves. But what it really is about is that you have to make a pact with the universe that like you want to move in this direction. And there's something to be said, you know, I quote the alchemist all the time because I do feel like Paulo, Paulo Coelho wrote, you know, uh, a masterpiece of a book that for me is something that I resource on a regular basis uh, in the same way that others may resource the Bible. Uh, but it speaks to my the way I move in the world and it speaks to my language of living. And what it says in there is, you know, whatever you desire, the universe will conspire to give you. And we have to look at that in positive and negative ways, right? If you, if you desire negativity, the universe will conspire to give you that too. Um, and so that's why you have to be so like ardent about like just requiring and requesting and wanting positivity. And that is its own struggle too, because we do, we don't live in a positive society. Most of us here in the West, we don't live in a positive society for the most part. I feel like we are constantly inundated with negative images that we have to fight on a regular basis. That's why, like I tell y'all your Instagram and your Twitter and your Facebook, like you got to control what you're taking in. For real, like that's not something I'm just saying like, you know, on some like, oh, you know, like it's the social media of it or it's the internets. No, I'm literally saying like that intake is absolutely, sorry, it is absolutely, why can't I think of the word right now? And y'all are literally listening to me right now. Like the word is, and I'm, the word is not coming to me. It is, Not impertinent, not impeccable, not indispensable. In oh my god, y'all! I'm having a full-on brain fart. This is gonna kill me. Hopefully, it'll come to me later in the show. But it is, for lack of a better word, important. Um, imperative, 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 imperative. That's why it is imperative that you make sure that what you are consuming, not just in your food, but in your mentals, is of a certain level of like uh, substance and sustenance. I mean, like when I first got with my ex, I felt like his Instagram was just full of foolery. (laughs) And so I like infiltrated his Instagram and had him following you know, just some different stuff that could like just divert his mind from stuff that was like kind of just not filling him with like goodness. And he told me, he was like, you know, that actually like really makes a difference. You know, just kind of just like when I'm scrolling through my Instagram of like, you know, just niggas and shit. And then a panda pops up. (laughs) It's like, oh my God, look at this panda. So... I I, I just, I really say all of that to say that um, it is hard work to figure out how to work on yourself at the same time as being there for others and creating space for others. And I know like one of the hardest things 
I had to do was kind of like break away from a relationship that I really cherished, but that I saw was incompatible because of the difference in readiness and availability mentally and emotionally and spiritually to do the work needed to be our best selves. You know, and and I think that for what it's worth, like he really would have loved to have been there and he just couldn't get there yet. He just wasn't there yet. And I feel like I've had a number of scenarios where like I meet dudes who just are like, oh my God, like you're just so further advanced than me, like mentally, emotionally, physically, um, that they really feel like it it makes them, I don't know, like question themselves just to be in my presence. And I mean, that, let me tell y'all, feels like shit. Like, so me just literally being my whole Amanda self, like just makes you feel less about you. And I know you're like, damn, you got to stop dating these weak niggas. But the truth is, I just think that that's the case for a lot of men right now, because women are taking such a, a just like concerted stance about our independence far beyond economics that it really starts to like reveal just the fragility of male ego and masculinity and all of that. And it forces real like rebuilding for brothers on what actually matters. And that simply being able to pay bills is just not enough. It's just not. It's not. And a lot of us haven't even seen like what a real relationship looks like with two people who actually have done the work and are doing the work. Because for the most part, this is a brand new generation of people doing work. I mean, I know a lot of our mothers, I'm 38. A lot of our mothers and the relationships that we saw, like I know people love to romanticize. Like remember back in the good old days? Like no, the good old days was a lot of women having to just figure the shit out in spite of their partner's shortcomings and flaws. You know, and a lot of men not really having to do that same work in return because of the focus on men as breadwinners and women having to kind of like attach for that. Come on. I mean, women couldn't have their own bank accounts in America until like 1976 or some shit like that. So we're not really just trained as much as we think we are in like what it looks like in a healthy relationship. I think that's really something we're all trying to like figure out in real time. Some of us were very fortunate to actually have like the rare example of that, but Nah, just because you had two parents in the home doesn't mean that you saw like what a good relationship, a healthy relationship is, because that that's not necessarily what that meant. So for me, like my work on triggers is is happening at in earnest now. And I think I won't lie to you, like part of that is because I do have a solid base in my work and I do have a solid base in my purpose. You know, and I had an ex say to me one time, like, I wish I had had the time and the money to be the man that you wanted me to be. And I said back to him, it's not that you didn't have the time and the money. You were lacking the maturity and the purpose to be the man that you needed to be to be with me. And no amount of time or money can give you either. The last dose. Ah triggers. It's dirty work, dealing with it, facing it. But you know, you can wash that mud off. You can get clean with it. It's it's constant work too, you know, because it seems like, you know, just when you think you've found all of the one-sided socks in the ball pit at McDonald's, there's another one that is missing. And 
you just know that like even just actively committing yourself to change is a worthy step. You're going to have to apologize a lot. Like I said, like I, like I feel like I get triggered um, with authority or with like certain levels of like, um, yeah, authority. And then that, that makes me think back to being yelled at and constantly being like chided and then feeling like my only recourse to manage it was to yell back. So even as an adult, like I feel like I have that trigger that like can be easily um, unhinged. And so then I have to work on like such a regular basis to like not let that get effect, like not let that move me that way. And sometimes I miss the mark and I have to apologize. And I had someone ask me like, well, what's the point of apologizing if it's going to happen again? And it's like, because in certain cases, an apology is an acknowledgement that you have missed the mark and yet that you're dedicated to working on not missing the mark as much. And that's, you know, hopefully people give you grace and uh, you also give yourself a kick in the pants and some compassion, but also just an awareness of like, okay, maybe I need to try something else or maybe I need to extend myself to different resources. And I think a lot of us are stunted right now because we have put ourselves in this corner where we think that we are the only resource to figuring out how to manage our triggers. We feel like if we don't figure it out ourselves individually, then we're not really doing the work. And that's just simply not true. Seeking out insight from others who have gone through things or others who have done research or others who just have valuable input, that is not you like letting somebody else do the work for you. That is you actively taking control of gaining information beyond your own. And as far as I'm concerned, that is the most courageous thing you can do. Admit to yourself that you just don't fucking know everything and that you're going to have to get some outside sources. But you also are able to use your brain and your heart and your soul to be able to sift through like what works and what doesn't for you and get yourself on track with making sure that when it comes to triggers, you don't got to always be feeling like you're looking down a barrel but more so that you know how to turn on the safety. Star Avenue, a, pod- <clears throat> a podcast network.